What happens after we die? When this body draws its last breath, what will be next for Dan Hager? We wonder about that. It's a question that preoccupies each of us, yet Scripture says precious little about it. And what little Scripture does say about what happens immediately after we die is less explicit, more just a glimpse, uh, peering out into the fog at a reality that we can't completely understand. Yet, those glimpses that Scripture does give us at least provide enough to give us a sense of direction for where our focus should be as we think about these things and what really matters. One such glimpse comes to us in the Gospel according to Luke in chapter 16, beginning with verse 19. Jesus is speaking here, and he said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and None may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This story Jesus tells here is one that often captures our imagination and attention because it is so unique. Scholars struggle with whether or not this should be classified as a parable because many of the elements of those stories that Jesus would tell to make you think and really challenge you to seek and perceive what God's kingdom is really like are present with the telling of this story. Yet if this were in fact a parable, it's unique in the fact where it's the only one where the people in it are actually given names, where the poor man is explicitly identified as being named Lazarus. Now, there's no reason to think that that's the same Lazarus as the one who passed away in John chapter 11. The timing just doesn't work out. That Lazarus wouldn't have yet died at the time that Jesus told this story. Yet, it's a fascinating story nonetheless. And whether it's Jesus describing something that literally happened or Jesus telling a parable, even in telling his parables, Jesus always used points of reference where the things that he was describing were fundamentally true. 
So as we glimpse what Jesus says here, it can give us a sense for some important things pointing towards that life after death. Though I do feel compelled to tell you that's not actually why Jesus told this particular story. Sometimes the only time modern Christians look at Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 31 is to talk about this very topic, and I don't want to be guilty of the same. No, there was another reason that Jesus told this story, and the reason is actually found back in Luke chapter 16 and verse 14, where the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, another set of teachings Jesus was giving, and they ridiculed them. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And after saying a couple of other things, Jesus would go on to tell this story. You see, the Pharisees loved money, and they ridiculed what Jesus was saying. They looked on the outside like righteous, religious people, but their hearts weren't right in God's sight. So that's the context in which Jesus tells the story. And the ultimate kicker with this story is when the rich man is just sure that someone rising from the dead would be able to convince his five brothers. But Jesus reports Abraham saying back to him, if they've got Moses and the prophets and don't listen, they won't repent even if someone rises from the dead. Can you appreciate what Jesus is saying there? He's talking about himself. If he came as God in the flesh, doing the things he was doing, saying the things that he was saying, so completely fulfilling the law and the prophets, and the Pharisees not only rejected him, but ridiculed him, something simple like him rising from the dead wasn't going to change their minds either. But even as that's the bigger picture, that's the overarching point, there's some things that we might glean about that life after death. First and foremost, appreciate that that life after death where Lazarus is carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, that's Abraham's side. That's not the same as an eternal destination. Notice here the rich man thinking about even that possibility that Lazarus should rise from the dead. So what we're talking about here is something that precedes rising from the dead, that comes before resurrection. And the way that we lived in life matters in terms of where we are. In Lazarus's case, he's in a place of comfort. In the rich man's case, he finds himself in a place of torment. And notice that where they are can't be changed. After their lives on earth end, those decisions are locked. A chasm is fixed so that they can't go back and forth between the two. Appreciate also that in this glimpse Jesus gives us, people seem to know who they are, who each other is. The rich man recognizes Lazarus and Abraham. He remembers that he had five brothers on earth. So we shouldn't have any question as to whether or not in eternity we'll still know who we are, we'll still know each other, because when Jesus tells a story about life after death, that seems to be the picture that he paints for us here. Yet even with these glimpses, appreciate that this is still foggy for us. What Jesus is talking about here doesn't seem to be our eternal destination. It seems to instead be what he would later refer to as paradise. Like over in Luke chapter 23, when one of the two criminals that's crucified with Jesus is truly penitent. And Jesus assures him when he says to, please remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said in Luke 23 and verse 43, truly I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's the English translation of the same Greek word that we would use to render the Garden of Eden. It's the image of a garden resting place, a place where we get to be in God's presence. And not only was that what Jesus was anticipating for himself and that criminal after their lives ended on those crosses, but it's what Jesus's apostles anticipated in the immediate aftermath of their own deaths. Like, listen to the apostle Paul as he found himself imprisoned for the sake of the gospel in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, where he says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. You hear the hope the optimism that Paul has that should his present situation of imprisonment ultimately end in his death, he'll actually be better off. Because once he dies, he'll be with Christ. He'll be in a place of relief and comfort, something that even the symbolic language of Revelation depicted for us. You remember when we looked at the seven seals being opened, and when that fifth seal was opened, and those who had died as martyrs cried out, How long, God? That in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 6, they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. In fact, for Christians who die, that is the predominant word that's used to describe it over and over in the New Testament, that they were resting, they were asleep. That's what we anticipate when we, as those who belong to Jesus, die. We go to be with the Lord. We go to rest in his presence. But that is not yet the end of the story. That is not yet our final destination, because as the rest of Scripture bears witness, we as Christians still have hope for life after life, after death. And it has everything to do with Jesus and his resurrection.